Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, to the second career, second of many, Poke the Bear podcasts with host Connor Ryan. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the only sportsbook you'll ever need, BetUS. Uh, Connor, it's I'm so happy we're here for the second show. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be here, Evan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad that this didn't get canceled after the first episode. I'm glad we, we made it, the man. second episode. We, we, didn't made get, it, right? we didn't get sent back to the AHL after one game. We're, we're ready to roll. We're safe. We had a Trent Frederick-like debut with a we may, not, we, we may not be safe, man. We might be like the Peter Solaric of podcasts and get like sent back down. So we got we to gotta keep it rolling. Peter Solaric classic up with like David Krejci. You think, oh, maybe he's like a future top six left or right winger. This is going to be the year he finally breaks out, like plays like seven shifts the next game. Yeah, doesn't play the third period and then suddenly is back in Providence just like <laughs> doing average things. So, so hopefully we don't go to our Slovakian news sources and, and rip the Bruins because it, be, it might be it for us. Yeah, but I, I might do that, but uh, you might not have to. Um, <laughs> Good. So uh, obviously this week, this past week, uh, was Bruins exit interviews earlier than I think we expected them to be. Uh, but nevertheless, they were there uh, many a day. It was just one after the other, after the other, after the other. Usually exit interviews in person are everyone's available in the locker room. Like you just go from like stall to stall to stall for like three and a half hours. Um, and it's always interesting because you get to hear the injury rundowns. And it's like, it's always impressive the list of just like tons of injuries. This year there were some injuries, but mainly th- there weren't a lot solely because they'd only played like for a month. Yeah, and again, it wasn't like, you know, thankfully these guys had, you know, three full months to kind of rest any injuries they had. So by the time they started up again, it was more of the, either the wear and tear or stuff that we were probably already well aware of. Like, you know, Bruce Cassidy said that David Pasternak's dealing with that lower body injury. It's like, yeah, if you watched those games, you clearly knew something was bothering him, right? Even though he did admit that he didn't have it, uh, he didn't suffer that injury during that celebration. It was earlier in the game, but that was like the only real uh, you know, major revelation we had in terms of, you know, stuff that we already were expecting was going to happen in terms of injuries. You didn't have like, you know, last year, John Moore was playing with like a separated shoulder and yes, Noel Chari had like a cracked sternum, which I think was the craziest one. Cause I don't, I've never heard of someone playing through, like I get like cracked ribs and that sucks. Like a cracked sternum, like, holy hell. What, what, what's most impressive last year was Char obviously playing the broken jaw. And then there were just like a laundry list of other injuries right. that he played through. And that's like the fun of the playoffs is you get to hear all the injuries. This year there was none of that. Yeah. Um, just because, but the one injury, uh, that was pretty big and 
we didn't expect was uh, Chris Wagner with an irregular heartbeat. Yeah. I think there's a specific term for it. I, it. It escapes me right now, but an irregular heartbeat. His heart was racing in the second period of game four. Uh, it's like, what the hell is going on here? I usually can kind of recover quicker than this. And then they take him to the hospital. They figure all that out. It's pretty scary stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think he kind of said it best of, you know, even for these hockey players who fight through everything, right? Like, you know, broken, broken, broken bones and, you know, torn, torn ligaments and stuff like that, that they fight through it. Like you don't really screw around when it's too hot or something's acting irregular there. So I'm good on him for at least, you know, uh, you know, notifying them and, you know, you know, he didn't really play, I think in the last, you know, third period, I don't think that game at all. Um, and so, yeah, he went to the hospital, had to get more tests for it because he went to the hospital. He's on, quarantine watch so and even then you kind of you know he said like hopefully if I get cleared you know I'm playing later in the series if they extend it but you just never know in a situation like that so um you know he's gonna get more testing uh this upcoming week just to make sure it's just a one-time thing or or something like that I mean we've also you know had this before with you know McAvoy had a a regular heartbeat and a few of those issues last year or two years ago so it was two um, years ago two years ago yeah um and that was, you know, I think corrected with just like one of those, you know, it's crazy when you think of heart surgery, I think it's the, you go to DEFCON like 20, right? And all of a sudden, but you know, there's so many of these kind of smaller procedures that are able to just fix like a, a murmur or, or, you know, a regular heartbeat or something like that. So um, hopefully it's just nothing, you know, it was just a one-time thing or something that get corrected easily because, I mean, as you said, like anything involving heart, when he told us that, I was like, oh, geez, because uh, Cassidy didn't really say that much when he was running down that list of injuries in regards to kind of what Wagner was dealing with. Well, a few years ago when McAvoy had his thing, he was, he got surgery and he was back within like a week. Oh I yeah. Think, or two weeks. It was very quick. The turnaround. Yeah. It was, I, I remember like I, I covered when I was good old days of high school sports. It was a, uh, you know, a soccer player who had like an irregular heartbeat. They found out and he like had surgery and like, it took like an hour, you know, it's just like they put like something like, like a little tiny thing through and like cauterized like one, like, you know, centimeter, and you're all good to go. It's crazy. I think Wagner said his surgery was five hours. Is, I did he, I catch that, or was it? I think, maybe, I think maybe he was in the hospital five hours, which like okay. sounds like a good day at the hospital because usually you're waiting there like nine hours. So, but <laughs> he, I, think I think he might get some preferential treatment. I think maybe yeah, the hockey player in Toronto, yeah, <laughs> might do it. Uh, but so the big news of the uh, the exit days was you have Tori Krug basically complete depression no chance he's coming back it feels like and you have Zane Ochara on the other end of it who's like what are you talking about I got asked that question after like five minutes after the game uh obviously I didn't have my mind made up then but I do want to come back and I want to keep playing so we'll 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 hit each uh, in their own segment I feel like the Tory Krug news is bigger so we'll start with that uh Krug all year as the year has gone on the chances of Krug coming back are lower and lower and lower and now it feels like it's pretty much done um, crew wants to get paid, completely wants to get paid, and rightfully so. Bruins don't really have the cap space for it. There wasn't a lot of contact throughout the year, according to Krug. Um, we'll talk to Sweeney this week. It should, I think the exit interviews for management is this week. Um, so I would think that'd be Sweeney and Neely. Uh, I don't know, but maybe the Jacobs too, but I don't think we'll see. so. We'll After see. that whole, uh, spring <laughs> debacle, I don't think that'll be happening. Uh, but we'll see. But, but um, what did you what did you make of the Tory Crew stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think when you you know you listen to him on on Thursday, it seemed like kind of you know 
So, you know, hoping maybe something gets worked out, but you read kind of the writing on the wall just in terms of the fact there was no contact or um, kind of, you know, his stance of, you know, someone mentioned, you know, the willingness maybe to take, you know, a bridge deal or, you know, another two or three year deal or, or something like that. And it's like, well, that dude's been doing that like almost his entire career, right? Like he signs his ELC. Then like, because the Burlington is such cap hell in like 2014, 15, he signs a one year deal for like, 1.7 million or something like that, like below tiny. market. And then another one year deal. And then he finally gets his like payday and it's what a four year contract, like 5.25 is pretty great, but it's still, you want for a guy like that, who's, you know, 25, you want that security of a long-term deal and he didn't really get it. So now you look at him now, he's 29. This is his last legitimate chance to cash out, even with like the flat cap, like some teams going to offer sucks, him. And that sucks by the way. The fact yeah, that it's it, a flat, the poor guy's up for a huge deal and it's a flat yeah. cap. And even then, though, I still think, you know, a team's going to offer him, you know, eight, eight and a half million per year. Like, I'd be surprised if he doesn't unless, like, people like all the teams have a a collective, like, holding, like, a hard line on some of these bigger free agents just because of the financial situation. But for a guy like him who's, you know, proven what he can do, you know, in this league for years now, you know, I think he's uh, definitely should go for, you know, getting that big payday. And I just don't think it's here with the Bruins. And I think the biggest hang up with the Bruins is not just the, the cap situation, which I think, you know, if they were able to work out a, a good deal, he'd probably be willing to take less, right? Like, you know, seven million, seven and a half, something like that. But I think the term is what kind of scares them because again, they want to max out these next couple of seasons, but also like you can't have, if you're trying to rebuild later on, you can't have Tory Krug who's, 34, 35, you know, a guy like him, his kind of skill set, the kind of damage he takes, uh, you know, dragging your cap down in that situation. So if it was like, you know, a, you know, four or five year deal, maybe you could work it out, but I just don't think Krug wants, I think Krug wants to get paid. He wants to set up him and his family up for, you know, long-term big contract. So, uh, you know, I think he's going to kind of take that route and it seems like they're both kind of pot ways. Feels like you can't blame Krug. Because he, need, he he wants the security. He has a you know a, a young daughter. He has his wife. He wants to be somewhere for the next eight nine years and know that I can put my kids through school there. I, I can do all that stuff. But you also can't blame the Bruins, I think, because as as you said, down the line, you don't want a thirty four thirty five year old Tory Krug taking up you know a large portion of your cap. Um, they also don't really have a lot of cap space this off season. Fifteen roughly fifteen million right now, I think. Um, I mean, to me, he, he's going to Detroit. I mean, I, the more the more I look at this, the more I see the relationship he has with Jeff Blashill. You know, I don't know how long Blashill has in Detroit, just because they're not good. But that guy seems because he has the longest, like you know, leash. Still, I, I think maybe they, which is good for a management. Is like when you accept it, you just garbage and your team sucks. And like, suck. we'll stick. It's like Brett Brown, which hasn't worked out with Philly, but like something like that, where it's like, listen, we're really trash. But we think we like you. So like, we'll keep you rolling through this. You take the punches for us. Yeah. And, but so the, I feel like a benefit of him is he can bring a guy like him and crew have such a good relationship. It's sort of like the Stevens Hayward thing where you have that good connection. Um, you also have crew being from Michigan. Um, he spent a lot of, we don't know how much, but he spent a good amount of quarantine in Michigan. You wonder what that does to a player's thing. And in like a once in a century vulnerable moment, you're back in a certain place. You can create another bond with the place. So I think he's gone. And I think everyone thinks he's gone. Um, and I think he'll go to Detroit. They have the cap space. They stink. But, but, now here's the little but. So they suck now. But, now I'm not an expert on their 
farm system or I'm not even gonna pretend to know like most of their lineup because like every time they come through here we're like who, yeah, like, who are who, half of these people? Who are these people? Like who are they? But you really look at it and in four or five years there's a chance they're contending and there's a chance that Krug himself becomes a veteran leader on that team, gets to be a veteran leader for a cup team from his hometown or home state. That's going to be attractive to Krug. I mean, he's been, he said, uh, he said he was like the longest Boston athlete uh, going right now who doesn't have a championship. I think that's true too. I do believe so. Yeah. Cause the Celtics would be Marcus smart. Yeah. And he was and like Krug 2013. Was yeah. Yeah. So easily. Yeah. And the Red Sox won in 18. And the Patriots are the Patriots. So, yeah, it's Tory Krug, which is crazy. Yeah. But uh, – or you could say Tuka Rask is a starter. Never mind. Uh, but we'll, – We'll say that for another episode uh, later on this. I was going to say Dog Days of Summer, but Dog Days of November, whatever, dog, whatever we're going to be looking at. Dog Days of the uh, start of the season keep getting pushed out. But yeah. um, what do you think the Bruins do if they don't bring Krug back? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, it opens up quite a few options for them. And I think where you look at where – Krug has missed the most, right? I think obviously you look at the power play as a concern because that's kind of his, his bread and butter, right, of what you're expecting from him. Um, and you look at you, you're obviously going to miss kind of the, the veteran leadership he brings in that room. Um, as Especially, you know, I think he's undervalued in that regard as being kind of that bridge between – you got two different groups in the Bruins locker room, right? You got this established veteran core and you got this – growing pool of kind of these younger players like McAvoy and DeBrusque, Kahlo, all those guys. So Krug's really been valued in that locker room as a guy who's kind of that, that in, in between that can, you know, is on great terms, you know, very close to the veterans because he's been there for eight years, but also he's a, a younger guy that, you know, he mentioned that like, you know, sometimes if you're a younger guy, it's easier to talk to me than just going up to Chara and Bergeron. Like those kind of things do matter in a, a, a locker room. Um, going up so, to Chara to talk about something, I feel like it would be the yeah, weirdest invite, thing. Invite him to your Fortnite, you know, crew or whatever. I, I don't play Fortnite, so I don't even know what the crew gang, I, I don't know. But that would be, that'd be my me, speed. Me and Chara are on the same wavelength in that regard. I'm not knowing what the hell's going on with it. But, um, but I think, you know, you're going to miss something like that. Obviously you still got a, a great, you know, veteran core. You still got, you know, other guys who kind of that in between like coil and, and stuff like that. Corrali, um, Wagner. Um, and then on the power play, you know, you're able to, I think you can still move on and still have a pretty great power play, even without Krug. Like it may not be as dynamic because you see when Krug's really rolling, like goes from the blue line to the half wall, he can do a whole bunch of different things. You're placing with Matt Grizzlick. I think you're getting more of a guy who's going to be, you know, walking the blue line, you know, keeping pucks in, you know, feeding them back down to Marchand or something like that. Um, but you look at kind of the numbers, like the a power play with Grizzlick is still pretty damn good. When you look at this Bruins power play, I think like if you do like goals per 60, I think like Krug is like 11.72 goals per 60 when he's with the usual guys like Bergeron, Machi, and Pasternak. But I think Grizzlick's like got like a goals of like goals per 60 of like 12 or something like that. Like they've, mm. they've, their numbers like don't dip at all. If anything, they're even better. It's a smaller sample size, of course. But I think when you still have those talent up front and you give Grizzlick a, a, you know, a, a set role where it's just hanging on that blue line, you know, getting shots from, you know, the high slot, which is how we scored in the last regular season game. You know, he was replacing Krug there against Philly on March 10th, way back when. And, you know, Ten years ago. At, yeah, exactly. So uh, I think he still brings value there in terms of 
know, I think you can still roll out a, a, a really, really strong power play, even with a guy like Grizzlick. And again, this opens the opportunity both for him and for McAvoy to uh, get more minutes on, on the power play. Cause you know, McAvoy's your, you know, future of your blue line, you know, he does a little bit of everything. There's one thing he probably hasn't excelled in yet. It's probably, you know, running a power play. And it's mostly because that top power play unit's so good. They don't really roll them out there. So um, I still think you're in pretty good shape, special teams wise. Five on five, I think is where we have to talk about where it gets a little bit more dicey in terms of just who you're going to re- replace that those 20 plus minutes that Krug logs every night. Yeah, I, I, to me, and, and you said it best, uh, there's not a huge drop-off on the power play, and I don't think there will be when uh, Grizzlick goes on to it. You could also, as you said, put McAvoy out there. I mean, I feel like one thing we're going to see next year is Grizzlick and McAvoy in roles that are more enhanced, uh, that help them both a little bit more. Um, you know, with Grizzlick, with Krug gone, he would probably be the, the, the next guy up for that first power play. And you could also try McAvoy. So that's another option where McAvoy kind of gets his play enhanced. And also you bring back Chara, which Chara now says he wants to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that's the right move. I, I think yeah. re-signing him to a, a one year, you know, one million, one, one and a half million dollar deal is a no brainer because there's no way the Bruins put him on the first pairing anymore. He should be a third pairing defense. We'll get to that in a little bit, but then you also let McAvoy be with Grizzly, most likely. And that's a, a duo that is great mm-hmm. on the back end. All the numbers have shown that. So I think you're going to start to see them. Next year is going to be a huge year for development for both of those guys. Uh, you hope you don't lose Grizzly to Seattle. I, I think if Krug goes, you probably wouldn't put yeah. Grizzly up uh, for the Seattle draft. But um, all of that is stuff that we will get to in a little bit. Uh, first, Connor, I know you want to talk about BetUS. Uh, I, the great people about BetUS. So. I do, Evan, yeah. Yours. So, uh, yeah, listen up, sports bettors. This is Connor Ryan here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Football, basketball, and baseball are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. I only do us one sports book, and that's BetUS.com. Why do you ask? It's because BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the business. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. It's a sportsbook that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. So call today at 1-800-79-BETUS. That's 1-800-79-BETUS, and they will walk you through getting started. Nobody in the industry gives you bigger bonuses than BetUS. Join now. Mention me, Connor Ryan. That's Connor with one N. And you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. No one beats that. 25 years in the business, the best bonuses. BetUS should be your sportsbook. So join today. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Remember, mention me, Connor Ryan, the 1N, to get your bonus. Connor with 1N. Uh, you People know what, forget. People forget. Uh, so yes, bet us go there um, and do everything that Khan I just said. Uh, so we hit on it a little bit, and that is Chara saying he wants to come back. Um, and this, it's funny. It felt like he was going to reti- we when we both said this last week. Felt like he was going to retire after uh, that game 
the way people were talking about him like he was dead, the way Doc basically eulogized him as if he was about to drop like dead a, on the like ice. A, like a soliloquy. I was like, what the hell is going on here? Because I don't think anyone's expecting him to leave, so... If, if you give me a moment, uh, Keith, I, I need to talk. I, we need to talk about the humanity of Sedano Chara. I mean, it, that was sort of what it was. Um, I, like, so, I like how I like how every doc impression. It's like every, every single one of them. So I'm not ripping you, but it sounds like a guy who's calling like the 1919 World Series. Like it's, that, it's yes, like- Fires, That that is him. Like it's just very like deep in your throat. Um, I mean, I I can't rip on play by play guys. I could never be a play by play person. Um, Hell no. But uh, that's why I chose writing. Um, but so what's what's uh, crazy is he comes out and he Char was in a really good mood for that exit interview. Like him and Bergeron were the first two on Thursday and they were in great moods. Mm-hmm. Um, Chara especially. Chara was you know laughing it up and you know he took time at the end of his exit interview to thank everyone for um, for uh, what's it called for for staying in the bubble and being committed. <laughs> Shot at Tukarask. No, I'm kidding. Um, but so. Uh, Chara saying he wants to return, and and I said this a little bit earlier, but what have your thoughts been on Chara probably returning to the Bruins at forty three years old? Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it and just like the you know how they're gonna approach it if he's back, and it's like I don't get the people who are like, nah, like he's washed up. I'm like, all right, well, you look at like what don't let you know the last you know ten games like cloud what you know was still a pretty solid year for a 43 year old guy put in the role that he probably shouldn't be in as a top pairing shutdown option right like look at that series against tampa like chara now at 43 like yeah no like he's not the norris trophy you know perennial guy he's not a top pairing guy anymore but like he's still very effective as the anchor of your PK, which still held up pretty well, I think, in the playoffs. I don't think they were something that are one of the factors why you lost that series. You know, they had that one game where they broke out, but they adjusted and clamped down really in the next game. Yeah, they changed um, it before. I think it was before game four. They yeah, they switched it. Kucherov over, which losing Kucherov helps, but they also were a lot more active and pressuring in that in that game five. So they make the necessary adjustments. So him on the PK still brings plenty of value, and then. You know, his value now on, on five on five is, uh, you know, a shutdown guy or a guy that you roll out there to protect the lead. And what do you know? Boston pretty much did not lead, you know, at all really in that, that last stretch of the games against Tampa. So you can't really, you know, see him at the best of his abilities when he's in a role like that. So I think going into next year, if you bring him back on a one year deal, one to, you know, one and a half million in annual, you know, uh, annual cap hit. And put him in a third pairing role where, you know, you're allowed to bring up Grizzlick or what have you next to McAvoy, you know, let McAvoy, you know, operate a little bit with a little bit more freedom, especially offensively, helps him out, put Char in a third pairing role next to a guy like Clifton helps, helps him out too. I mean, you look at kind of their numbers, they played, I think, 25 minutes in the playoffs, uh, Char and Clifton and like, I think Boston had like a 16 to six edge in scoring chances. Like that's crazy numbers for a group that was still like most pairings with Char is usually stuck, you know, in Boston's own zone defending. Um, so I think you look at kind of what Char brings and if you bring him back in a role like that for that kind of money for what he still brings as a defensive, you know, a defensive, a defensive shutdown guy, guy who is still anchors a PK for that kind of money and add in the veteran leadership he brings, like, I don't see why, you know, this is the year that you want to kind of blow it up and move on from him because, you know, people are, you know, I mean, I think we're both, I think on the same wavelength of like, they still got at least one good shot at this. Like, 
why are you why are you cutting ties with a guy who clearly wants to be back for good money when like he still brings value of what you're looking for he's not your anchor on your blue line anymore but still you put him in a certain role he's gonna you know he's still very effective in what he does that's the thing he's not a number one anymore that does not mean you don't bring him back now he hasn't been a number one for a few years now but but during this postseason, we really saw it. And again, the four-month pause hurt him maybe the most yeah. uh, out of everyone, aside from maybe someone like Halak with his glove hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you look at it. Who like this is what I tell. This is what I ask people who who say that they're anti bringing Char back. I ask two questions. So, are you ready for a young kid to step up uh, like a Lausanne into consistent? you know, top six minutes, or not top six, but defensive minutes mm-hmm. uh, to be a potential shutdown guy? No. Or Vakaninen? No. And if you go out and bring in a free agent who's that amount of money as a third pairing guy, the last time you brought in a free agent third pairing defenseman was John Moore. Okay. So <laughs> it's not like it's this easy thing to go out and just throw a, th- a third pairing, you know, one and a half, $2 million a year defenseman uh, in there. Mm-hmm. It's not, and I guarantee you they're going to cycle through. Char is your guy, and even it's funny. Like in, in his exit interview, someone uh, brought up potentially wanting to get to Gordy Howe's record uh, of most games played, and he, and he said, "You know, I don't play. I don't. You know, stats aren't my goal." He said something like, "Just like really good quote." It was like, "I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't play for stats." Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just wants to be out there in big situations defending. Like he's. I always say, like, I, not to bring up my own hockey career here because it's really stupid when I do this, but I was a defenseman, and I always enjoyed the defensive aspect of hockey more than offensive. Now, part of that was because I was not very potent on the offensive side of the puck, but it's like a, it, it's like people who just love defense more than offense, kind of like a sickness. Mm-hmm. Char has that. Like, Char just enjoys shutting opposing teams down, you know, not letting guys get to the front of the net. He just loves that. So if you're going if, if to give him a million a year to do that for 13 minutes a night, 14 minutes a night, by all means, do it. Do it. It does not make a difference because you need to have a good, solid shutdown guy back there. And it can't just be Brandon Carlo. You need a second one. So Char is your guy. So yeah. absolutely, Char should be brought back. And again, like, I think if you're looking in this offseason, right, like everyone's talking about the priorities for them. And it's, yeah, it's getting, you know, a legitimate top six guy to balance out that score and get that five and five offense going. But you look at where kind of what kind of you know fires I got to put out if Krug and Char are both gone like what are you doing for your decor like bring back Char makes sense as a third pairing guy and it makes life so much easier for the Bruins because you can just slot him in there you know you could put probably McAvoy and Grizzly together is probably would I would assume be the plan like you still got to deal with who you're putting next to Brennan Kahlo but if you're going into next year with two spots open there in the left on the left side all right like people are like stop the kids it's like all right Lozon was solid. Didn't look good in the postseason, though. Like, is that a guy you want handling 19-plus minutes this year in a, you know, a, a role in the second or third pairing? Like, uh, is it, you know, people I keep on saying, like, now is the time to Vakanainen to break through. I think people think Vakanainen's like Stadnika of, like, he's ready to roll. Like, he's been developing. You listen to what some of the Bruins are saying, like, of how he did in Providence, and, like, it seems like he took – he's either, like, regressed or he's been kind of stagnant in his development. Like, ever since I think, you know, he came back from World Juniors with Finland and had that great run, it seemed like he's, you know, been kind of not taking the steps that you're expecting from a guy like him. So, like, there's no guarantee that he's your guy next year. Like, I think when Jay Leach, the head coach of Providence, talked to us back in May, he, you know, flat out said that Jacob Zaboral was the, the best – defenseman down in Providence during that time. So maybe he breaks out, but again, like you just, 
if you're trying to max out the next year or two, you know, is that what you want on your decor, like a strength of your team to roll out Jacob Zaboral to be like, hey, like we got one last crack at it. Good luck, buddy. Like you're have, enjoy your 18. Jacob Zaboral's our guy. Yeah, like, and I mean, me, I mean, who the hell knows? Like maybe he has a strong camp and you know plays into that role. But like, is it those guys? Is it John Moore? You want being your top four defenseman? Like, so I think you know losing you know, Krug frees up money to you to get, you know, maybe one other guy, like, you know, maybe they switch things up and add like a bigger body, like, you know, uh, Joel Edmondson or, you know, Brennan Dillon, one of these guys. But I think when you have two guys missing on that left side, just because you don't want to re-sign Chara for the, you know, the absurd one to two million he's going to command, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, and again, best case scenario, he's back. Guy like Zaboro or Vakaninen or Lozon takes steps forward. Char is there to mentor them. And when he does retire in another year or two, maybe he's borrowing one of those guys is ready to roll. Yeah. In 10 years, you know, maybe like those guys are ready to roll. So like, it just makes so much sense from one production, one, you know, another of maximizing the value of this team, but also just like common sense of like, just bring him back. You know what he brings. He's still damn good in a role that you should have carved out for him. And, you know, you're able to give yourself a security blanket rather than just rolling on all these young guys. That's it. That that's it. Like, what this are the other options? This isn't hard, people. Like, yes. Like, what are the what? What would you like to have happen? You like, like, there's no one who ruins Twitter does not like more than John Moore. So you want John Moore out there? So you uh, want? There's, a, there's a few other. There's a few other people that they don't like more. Oh, than Nick Ritchie. <laughs> Nick Ritchie has surpassed that. Actually, you're right. Uh, but every time John Moore's on the every time John Moore was in the lineup this year, it was always like just slandering John Moore. Um. And Nick Ritchie, obviously, I wonder if uh, they they do something with his uh, – because he's going to be an RFA after next season, I think. I believe so. Kasha. Him and Kasha, I think, are on the same kind of contract. wonder how that all plays itself out. That'll all be next offseason. Then we'll focus on that. Then I do wonder if they try to make a move with Ritchie uh, this year because it'll be very weird if they bring him back. Uh, <laughs> never really seemed to fit in that Bruins line in, in the locker room there. Uh, just my own opinion. Uh, so one last thing before we, we uh, wrap this up. Uh, one little tidbit that you mentioned, Bergeron, uh, in his exit interview, brought up how his groin is still just an issue. Now, we've known this for a while that it's been an issue, but the fact that this doesn't really have a remedy, the fact that this isn't going away, he's 35 years old, he's got two years left on his deal. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just further you know, evidence that you got to put all the you know ch- chips on the table now and go for it this year because you just don't have any – you know, guarantee of what the future is going to look like for this team, not even just after next year, but going forward with the amount of mileage and the damage that Bergeron has taken over his career. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, two years ago, Bergeron has hernia surgery in the offseason, try to fix it, I think in 2018. So, yeah, three years ago. Two years ago, he has another surgery to try to correct that injury. Last year in July, he gets a PRP shot to try to solve that issue. And then, you know, it's still every year it seems to be bothering him. I mean, he bothered him this year. You knew something was up because he took a couple of maintenance days up in Toronto. Um, and I mean, you look at last season too. I mean, you know, there's plenty of ways you can look and kind of examine why the Bruins lost that series against St. Louis, but Bergeron re-aggravated that groin injury during that game four win against Carolina. And he was not the same for the rest of that series. And as soon as, Ryan O'Reilly's line, especially at five on five, started landing punches against that line. They, they were toast. So I think from the Bruins' perspective, you know, Bergeron and that line, you know what they're going to give you, but all it takes is one, you know, weird, you know, shift or, you know, 
sudden movement, all of a sudden he could have that injury sprout up again. So I think one, it's an emphasis on the Bruins of, you know, still monitoring him, monitoring him and his usage. So I think you've seen the last couple of years now he's being, him and his line are being deployed more as a, you know, offense only kind of group. Like they're getting 60 plus, you know, percentage of their faceoffs are in the offensive zone. Like that's their job now. So one that give that's the onus on the rest of the lineup to both kind of handle those minutes. So I think next year that fourth line really needs to rebound because they're going to be handed a lot of those minutes against top six guys. Um, I think from just an offensive perspective, like you need another line to get rolling, uh, whether it's you adding a guy or some of these younger guys have to break out because if that, you know, if Bergeron and that line go stagnant during a playoff series, because he's dealing with an injury after another whole year of taking a beating, then, you know, you're in the same position you are in like the last few years, like you need that second line and that third line to roll to get that offense going in case that happens because it seems like with this injury you know it doesn't seem like it's going away it's something he's gonna have to deal with for the rest of his career um so it's something that I think the Bruins just have to be cognizant about because I think that's kind of just the hand that they're dealt yeah I mean also that 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 top line of Marshawn Bergeron Pasternak has shown in past years they're incredibly injury prone you know you have Bergeron with his groin you have Pasternak with these weird freak injuries you know he falls on his thumb he he, uh, you know, th- this year he says he didn't injure his lower body celebrating, but you have that. You have Marshawn last year in the cup uh, re-aggravating. Was it a wrist injury or was it a thumb? It was, I think, a wrist. It was during the scrimmage. During the, that, that horrible it. scrimmage. That god-awful, just random scrimmage. Uh, actually, the environment for it was pretty crazy. It was uh, pretty like it, cool. It was, that, that aspect of it was fun. The game itself meant nothing except it hurt the team more. But So they've shown that they've injury-prone, and, and you're right. That bottom, that that Corrali line, uh, when it comes back, Joakim Nordstrom probably not coming back to the Bruins. They're gonna have to find someone to kind of replace him uh, on that line. They had to do this every year though. They had Achari last year. They had Schaller the year before. Schaller with that amazing goal against the Rangers uh, that basically Crete started ruined the, Rangers, the franchise. Which, to be fair, like Tim Schaller should now get credit because that team is ready to roll again. Like they get Lafreniere this year. They got like Panarin and all these guys last year. Got great Marco. prospects coming up, so they should give Tim Schaller. I think we should start the campaign. A key to the city of New York for rebuilding uh, a proud franchise like the Rangers in a short amount of time with that nasty goal. Tim Schaller, mayor of New York. Yeah, I love exactly. this. Give him the keys to the city after he, he changed from, the course of the Rangers be- franchise. From humble beginnings up in New Hampshire to now key to the city in New York. Like, anyone can from, make it these days, right? From Brendan Smith to Brendan Smith and uh, Alexei Lafreniere. <laughs> yes. Tim Schaller does a lot of good. Also, uh, ex-Bruins general manager Dave Gore- Gordon. Yeah. Dude, yeah, also who, like, who had the craziest, like, short run as GM here, and then all of a sudden he's still making moves, so. Most so impactful quite, GM the Bruins have had in the past 20 years, and he's been for, like, two months. He almost got Backstrom, too, in that in that trade, in, uh, in that draft in 2006. So that, dude was, that dude was doing everything, that that short little run he had. And they followed him up with Shirelli. What a, uh, what a, what a following act. Uh, Connor, as we end this, uh, anything you'd like to say to the listeners uh, at the end of Episode 2? Yeah, uh, you know, I think as you said, um, this upcoming week, we should still have a whole bunch of, you know, additional Zoom calls with, um, you know, more players. And especially I think Don Sweeney will be talking, which is always great in terms of getting an idea of just the pulse of what um, we're all expecting from the offseason of what moves you're trying to make or, you know, what they're prioritizing. So that will be fascinating. So we'll have plenty of that next week, just kind of breaking down what the expectations of what the moves will be in the next couple of months months for this team and then um 
hopefully next week we'll also be doing probably a, you know, a, a live chat where we'll be going through some questions. So I'll probably send out something on Twitter or on our website next couple of days, you know, asking for kind of mailbag questions. So I think we'll uh, probably do that later next week and go through that and see uh, if we can get a, a good kind of conversation going there. Cause I think obviously fans have a lot of questions about this team. We could be facing a, a whole bunch of change in the next you know, month or so with how this team is kind of constructed. Yeah, Connor, I hate Chara. Why are they bringing him back? They should, what about they should sign uh, Greg Zanin for 700K and bring him in and make Chara the GM. Okay, right, sure. They should make Chara an assistant coach because that's pretty much what he is now. I had a friend actually <laughs> yesterday, I swear to God, say, so what's Chara coming back as a coach? Is that what's going to happen? And I was like, are you serious? I mean, this is a legit thing. Now, I think Chara ends up – now we're getting back into it. But I think Chara ends up becoming a GM later in his career – or a front office person later down the line if he doesn't go into real estate or finance. I was going to say, that dude can do – that guy has got like 45 different, like, you know, like those old, like, crappy, like, choose-your-adventure books where every chapter you have to pick. That's like Chara, yes. but it would be like the size of, like, like a Harry Potter book or something like that. Because you can go, like, 40 different directions of where he's going, like selling real estate – Dude, like, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Maybe he'll just, like, go on, like, a hike around the world. He'd be the dude who, like, does one of those crazy, like, I'm going to do, like, a hot air balloon across North America. And, like, if that happened, we'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Good luck. He's the the only guy that I could, like, really see doing that. What's funny is there was also a thing um, when when the Bruins did the 2011 Zoom call. I was watching the highlights of it the other day, and uh, Char was saying he was in Florida. And someone said, "Like, what did you, what did you walk down there?" And yeah. they're like, "No, he took his bike." And then someone's yeah, like, "Nah, he took, the, he took the Greyhound." Uh, yeah. so that was so funny. Uh, anyways, that's Poke Bear episode two. Um, you can always catch this twice a week. We're getting, we're working out what days we'll do this. Uh, but for that, have a great day. Mm-hmm.